Today's scripture reading is from Luke 11:37 through 54. Please read with me the highlighted verses, which are yellow. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did he, not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. <clears throat> One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Perfect. Now, there's a scene in the DreamWorks movie. And again, I always seem to be introducing my sermons with an animated movie. <laughs> but it's a DreamWorks movie. Uh, called Shrek 2, where Shrek the green ogre meets Fiona's parents, his in-laws, uh, King Harold and Queen Lillian, for the first time. Now, if you're not familiar with the movie, that's okay. Just imagine meeting your in-laws for the first time. <laughs> and for some of you, I guess you don't have to imagine. It's an awkward dinner scene. Shrek and Fiona have just returned from their honeymoon and looking to settle down, and that is until Fiona's parents invite them to travel to their kingdom of far, far away to meet them for the first time. But unbeknownst to the king and queen, they discover their son-in-law to be 
an ogre. And the awkward dinner scene that ensues highlights this tension between Shrek and the king, his father-in-law, and particularly the prejudice that the king, the father-in-law, has with ogres and their unrefined and uncultured ways. There's one particular scene that's really funny, I think. Uh, I, I laugh even as I, I say it. It's at the dinner table. Uh, each person, if you remember or not, uh, there's, each person has a bowl set in front of them to wash their hands before eating. And Shrek, not knowing the proper etiquette, uses, and again, he's confused at all the forks and spoons and knives that are before him, and he uses his spoon to drink the water out of that bowl. That is until Fiona, his new wife, motions to Shrek that the water is to be used for hand-washing and not for drinking. I can tell you I've been in that situation numerous times. Our section this morning that we read together in the book of Luke reminded me of this particular scene in this particular movie. Jesus is invited to a private meal. Um, not a private meal, but a public meal uh, by some Pharisees. The Pharisees were an influential religious group during the time of Christ and the early church. They were leaders in the synagogue who were known for their emphasis on personal piety and their observance of the law. And again, there were others there, again, others who had been invited. These were leaders who had been invited to a, a dinner party. But not before long, the dinner party turns awkward rather quickly. And it has to do with hand-washing. Now, hand-washing during the time of the Pharisees wasn't a hygienic practice. That's not in the least the concern of the Pharisees. To them, it was more of a ceremonial observance. The washing of the hands was an issue of ritual purity before God. The Pharisees really did believe that cleanliness was next to godliness. So Jesus enters this house. He sits at a table. And the Pharisees haven't sat down yet. They are washing their hands. They're letting the water run down their hands, run down their wrists, and hands as Jesus is watching and waiting on them. You know, this is something that they, they practice. They wash their hands with water flowing from the, the tips of their, of their fingers down to their hands, and then they would um, switch positions and then have water flowing down their wrists to the fingertips to observe the law, to be ceremonially clean, to wash their hands of, of worldly influence, to wash their hands of any defilement uh, living in a, a worldly culture. And so Jesus is watching. And to them, it was more of a ceremonial observance. And again, it was a washing of hands. That was a ritual purity before God. And so Jesus enters and he watches them, but he himself does not do this. And the Pharisees are shocked. And again, the word that the ESV uses is the word astonished. They're looking at him and they're shocked. They're overly, overtly, dis, uh, again, Jesus' overt disregard for this ceremony that he would eat without washing. 
This was considered uh, socially unacceptable. And so Jesus, recognizing the Pharisees' shock, uses this moment as an opportunity. Well, before I go much further, let me describe to you and address who the Pharisees were. I might add, they were the worst. (laughs) Friends, we have the benefits of reading the New Testament, right? Reading the stories of the New Testament and of this particular group who were opponents of Jesus. And again, if you're opposed to Jesus, and we're opposed to you. They reacted to Jesus with hostility. They were antagonistic. They were opponents of Jesus. They were antagonistic of Jesus' teachings and claims, his seemingly, uh, seeming uh, negligence of law-keeping, and that goes also for his uneducated and undisciplined disciples as well. They were antagonistic of his association with the lowlifes, right? Those who were the most disreputable among them, that he would eat with tax collectors and prostitutes. They were antagonistic of, uh, they, they were antagonistic of, uh, of all sorts of things that Jesus did and, and Jesus said. They were cold and legalistic. And, and when we hear the word Pharisee, right, we shudder. They were known as hypocrites. They were judgmental. They were self-righteous. They are addressed individually or as a group 98 times in the New Testament. All but 10 of those references in the Gospels. And unquestionably, when we hear the word Pharisee, that's the last thing that we want to be described as, right? I mean, if, if someone says, you're, you're a Pharisee, it's not a good thing. It's actually a, a, a belittling thing. And that's the last thing that we want to be known as. Some believe that there were no more, never more than 6,000 Pharisees in the country at a time. They were known as the Chaburah or the Brotherhood. They entered into this brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of, these, uh, in front of uh, three witnesses that they vowed would spend all their lives attempting to observe every detail of the law. In some ways, they were the best. The Pharisees were the best. If anyone tried to lead a life pleasing to God, it was the Pharisees. They were the holy men who kept the law. They pursued purity with a passion and wanted nothing more to live their lives to please God. They were sincere, although their sincerity was misguided. They were generally considered to be the holiest people in all of Israel. So yes, they were the worst. And yes, they were the best. John Elzinga in his book, Thank God I'm Not a Pharisee, or Am I?, Summarizes it best. He writes, Pharisees are standard bearers, line drawers, righteousness seekers, holiness displayers, obedience demanders, judging evaluators, accountability cops, scripture twisters, spiritual intimidators, 
and authority grabbers. They promote the letter of the law over the spirit of the law, design a life no one can live except themselves, model their spirituality for all to see, love to be heard, are the first to stand up and pray, engage in a constant game of spiritual one-upmanship. Their sincerity is contrived. They are proud of their humility. They are the biggest doers around. They are at church every time the door opens. They study the Bible like no other. They can quote scripture left and right. And they are always, always, always right. In some ways, I love the Pharisees. They set up rules to their rules. They have laws for their laws. They would create a vast volume of laws and sub-laws and identified applications of the law to daily life. If anything, they were practical. They were practical, they were precise, they were exact. I mean, it sounds like my kind of guy. And my, I think our office knows this really well. I, I think I'm a Pharisee when it comes to like how we run our office. You know, uh, they were the best. You know, they added additional rules to stress its observance, right? Additional rules to the rules that we have in the scriptures, right? The laws that were given to Moses and handed down by oral tradition and, and written tradition and, and to the time of the Pharisees uh, in this intertestamental period between the old and, and new, these Pharisees would come up and they would find ways and clever ways and again, add all these rules to find ways to love God, Find practical ways to obey. So, for example, for example, where the Bible clearly told the Israelites, do not work, do not bear burdens, but rest and keep the Sabbath day holy. They added additional rules to stress its observance. Well, work hard, uh, again, well, work had to be defined uh, Carrying burdens had to be defined. And so, again, they defined these things. I mean, like a lawyer does, define everything. And so they defined what work was by saying, well, you cannot carry more milk than you can swallow. Because that would be considered work. You cannot carry a spoon weighing more than one fig because that would be a burden. It was the scribes and Pharisees who were embroiled over the discussion as to whether or not on the Sabbath a woman could wear a brooch, a mother could pick up her child, or a man could wear his wooden leg. These were considered burdens, and it was strictly prohibited. They set up precise standards to determine righteousness and holiness and obedience, and they judged others in relationship to their own ability to meet those standards. So you can understand why Jesus rebukes the Pharisees so harshly in this section. There are a number of woes. There are six woes that Jesus pronounces on the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's important to understand that Jesus does nothing morally wrong, that they only, the only thing that Jesus violated was a man-made rule for religiously accept, uh, 
for uh, breaking religiously accepted conduct. The Pharisees had hundreds more laws to protect them from breaking the law of God. So what does Jesus do? He condemns the Pharisees. He condemns a whole system that the religious leaders had built. It wasn't the word of God. It was a system of added laws and added rules. And to Jesus, it was a system of hypocrisy and legalism. It looked just uh, it looked at just the external appearances than looking at the heart. In verse 39, the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus begins with woes. And in the short section, the, the, the first part of our section this morning, four specific criticisms that can help us spot the first symptoms of self-righteousness. In this rebuke of the Pharisees, Jesus shows what must be guarded against if we desire one, if one is to be pleasing to God. He shows us the marks of a Pharisee, or more clearly, the marks of hypocrisy. And I realize, as I preach this, I am the biggest hypocrite of all. I think every pastor is. We can never live up to what we preach. The things that we tell people we ourselves struggle with. What you see on Sundays for 30 minutes isn't necessarily the same thing you see the other six days of the week. The biggest hypocrites of all. We can never live up to what we preach and teach. This past week, I had the opportunity to meet with a pastor of a, of a church, a new pastor of a church. And when I asked how I can pray for him, one of the things he mentioned was his struggle with imposter syndrome. And oh, I uh, totally, totally get it. Sometimes you aren't what people perceive you to be or thinking of yourself uh, perhaps in the wrong profession It's, I think it's good to think of ourselves and, and to ask these questions. When am I a hypocrite? What tendencies do I have as a pastor, as a husband, as a, as a father that makes me more like a Pharisee? You see, hypocrisy comes from the deception of our inability to be who we want to be. I think social media is uh, one of those clear examples of that. We never post the weak sides of who we are. The times we failed or said the wrong thing or acted inappropriately. You know, so at some point we come to the end of ourselves and realize as the Apostle Paul did as he writes in Romans chapter 7, for what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good and it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. You see, we discover we fail and that mixed in with our spirituality is also our sinfulness. What we set out to do, we are at first sincere. But in spite of our sincerity comes the ultimate deception. We become self-deceived, which was the problem with the Pharisees. One writer, uh, Lewis Smead, comments, Nobody has ever said, I think I will lie to myself today. This is the double treachery of self-deception. First, we deceive ourselves, and then we convince ourselves that we are not deceiving ourselves. Friends, I'm going to make us feel, and I think I've already have, uh, make us feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> Passages like this make me feel uneasy and restless. To understand what Jesus says, we have to own it. We have to look in the mirror and say that there are some pharisaical tendencies that I have. There are these attitudes that nobody else sees except for me. There are times when I have a judgmental spirit and yet what you see is kindness and, and grace and hospi hospitality and, and generosity and kindness But I think in order for us to really heed what Jesus says, my friends, we have to own it. We have to admit that these things are true of us, that they are true of me. And again, to quote Elzinga, he says, everywhere we find the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of holiness, and the pursuit of obedience, we will always find, always find a modern-day Pharisee. You and I both know that we want to be. We want to be more holy. We want to be righteous. We want to be more sanctified in the things that we do. And my friends, this was true of the Pharisees as well. But the danger of self-deception and the double treachery of self-deception is that we get carried away and our, and our sincerity becomes a, we become self-deceived by our sincerity and we become a Pharisee. Just four very quick points this morning. I am a Pharisee when, is how I'm going to start these four. I am a Pharisee when, number one, I am more concerned with outward appearances than I am with inward godliness. Jesus uses the imagery of cups and dishes to make this point. These religious leaders were more concerned about looking holy than actually being holy the cup may have been shiny on the outside. The dishes may have been shiny on the backside. But inside, it was filthy, dirty. 
It's much more important for the inside of a bowl or a dish to be clean than the outside. And the overall impact of Jesus' words is clear. Jesus is, uh, differs from his host and the other Pharisees by seeing the inside as more important than that of the outside, as heart being more important than appearances, a person's attitudes and motives as being more important than one's actions. The Pharisees believe that a person is made holy by working from the outside in. And Jesus was quite the opposite. He said, the inside out. You might remember the Lord said to Samuel in the Old Testament as they are looking for their first king. Jesus, uh, the Lord said to, uh, to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. My friends, what's your heart looking like? What are your motivations and your attitudes looking like? What do we do to, to grow the insides of us just as much as we put on those things to make us look good on the outside? What are the disciplines you practice that no one sees? What are those things, those times that you spend with God, reading the scriptures and, and on your knees in prayer? Brad preached last week, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's easy, as we heard, it's, not, it's easy to, to talk about praying than it is to actually pray. And here Jesus says, I'm looking at just more than what you do in front of others, but what you do in front of me. He is concerned more than with outward appearances, but with inward godliness, the state of our hearts and, and where we stand before God. The Lord looks on the heart. Number two, I'm a Pharisee when? I am more concerned with religiosity than love of God. And love of neighbor. I am a Pharisee when I'm more concerned about following the rules than about justice, about what's fair, than about mercy, about what I can gain or how it might benefit me. Then we think about what we need to do to benefit those around me. The Pharisees were more, more concerned about their own little rules and about the big, uh, more concerned about their own little rules and about the big things that matter to God. They substituted the lesser for the greater. They majored on the minors. They made second things first and first things second. They were unnecessarily precise in one small area of the law, but at the same time, they were completely missing the more fundamental areas of obedience. They did not love God, and they did not love neighbor by doing justice. This follows from uh, what Stephen Mockford preached just two weeks ago. 
You know, the Samaritan is the one who stops and looks at the Jewish man half beaten by the side of the road. The priest passes him by. The Levite passes him by, but it's the good Samaritan. Again, the Levites, yes, and the, and the priest had, again, according to their man-made laws, every reason to follow their rules. But again, here in chapter 11, again, stressing the exact same point is that we need to obey the whole law. They were unnecessarily precise. They measured exactly their tie. They would look at, again, again it says mint and uh, whatever he mentions here, mint and uh, rue. I don't even know what a rue is, but they would precisely measure a tent and give that to God. They were so keen on following the rules that they neglected justice. Yes, the law dealt with external things, but its purpose was always to teach Israel with reference to the heart. Jesus could therefore summarize the whole law in terms of love. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you would love yourself. The Sermon on the Mount makes this point forcefully. Jesus taught that seeing the law's application only to outward acts was inadequate and inconsistent with God's intent in giving the law. He taught that obedience to the law was always and must be a matter of the heart's more than the spirit, or not just the letter of the law. You see, the Pharisees were not, and I say ouch when I read this, the Pharisees were not good at defending the weak. They were not good at protecting the poor, welcoming the stranger, helping widows, adopting orphans, or doing any of the great uh, things that the Bible calls justice. While they were busy keeping one little rule, they would break the basic commandments of God. And this is the heart of hypocrisy, confusing the big things with the little things. And the second point reiterates the first. What are we really like on the inside? What motivates us to act? What compels us to help neighbor? What drives us to act justly? It has, come, it has to come from the inside because the law hangs on these two commandments, to love God and to love neighbor as ourselves. Number three, I am a Pharisee when I am more concerned with the approval of others than I am of God. The end of their religion was the approval of others. They feared man rather than God. If you gave these Pharisees a choice between the time of secret prayer or sitting in the front row, they would always pick the best seat in the house. They loved attention and loved when people saw them and admired them for their religiosity. These men were trying to impress the wrong audience. They were living to impress others and when they should have been living to please the Lord. They wanted others to view them as spiritual and significant. They wanted titles and public honors and recognition. And perhaps this morning, if you are here, and perhaps you say, as I have said numerous times, I don't get enough credit for what I do. 
Nobody ever notices what I do. We live in this strange world of comparison and applause from the wrong audience. My friends, Jesus shows us another way, a different way. He teaches us to be faithful and service, to take the lowest seats, to give other people credit, to make our sacrifices in secret, to wait patiently on him. He teaches us to live this way because Jesus is this way. And in Philippians, Paul says he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Number four, I am a Pharisee when I am spiritually dead inside and no one knows it, sometimes not even me. The last woe is distressing in this section. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the best seat in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. And people walk all over them without knowing it. The last woe is the most distressing. I am a hypocrite when I am spiritually dead inside and no one knows it, maybe not even myself. They were not just unclean inside but outside. When we are living for God only on the outside, we may not even know it, that we are dead inside. When we sing the praises and nothing changes inside, when we do good works and our heart isn't in it, when we read the Bible like it's a textbook, when we do good and it's not sacrificial, I am spiritually dead inside and no one knows it, maybe not even me. And the scary thing is other people may not know it either. They burden people instead of helping them. This is not the worst of it. However, by using the image of the unmarked grave, uh, one commentator says, Jesus was also saying that the Pharisees had a corrupting influence on anyone who came into contact with them because they had a reputation for strict holiness. People followed their spiritual example, yet rather than leading to holiness, they would bring them into contact with something more deadly. Soon they would be guilty of the same sins that the Pharisees were committing. And how, how ironic the very men who were trying to keep things spiritually clean were in fact sources of spiritual defilements. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees was deadly to other people's souls, end quote. He asks, the uh, commentator asks, can you see how deadly your own hypocrisy can be? The gospel of grace is the remedy for our hypocrisy. My friends, the gospel of grace is the remedy for a pharisaical attitude. We need, you and I need the gospel of Jesus to change us from the inside out. This is the essential difference between any merely human religion 
and the supernatural work of God. Because you and I both know that even without God, I can do some good. Even without God, I can practice an external obedience. You and I can work a little harder to live a little better. And when we do, we may well be able to fool other people into thinking that we are righteous. But only God can give us a heart for holiness. This new heart comes from the saving work of Jesus who came to dwell in our hearts by faith. And even now is working in our hearts to do good. 